By now, you've heard about Global Poker, one of the fastest growing online card rooms available in the US and Canada today. So what's stopping you from trying it out? Global Poker is a safe and secure social poker site that uses their own patented sweepstakes model. Signing up is easy. You can use Google, Facebook, or just an email address. You can always play for free on Global Poker, but you can also buy gold coins for additional play, which will earn sweeps coins that can be redeemed for real cash to a bank account, Skrill account, or even as a gift card. Get a free 5,000 gold coins when you sign up right now at GlobalPoker.com. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome back to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. This is episode number 125, featuring Brian Hastings. Brian is 33 years old, uh, but he's been playing poker at the highest levels for half of his life already. Uh, The Pennsylvania native first discovered the game from his high school math teacher, and he dove right in. By the time he graduated from high school, Hastings had already built himself a quarter of a million dollar bankroll. He was already playing and winning like a pro, but that didn't stop him from enrolling at Cornell. During his time at the Ivy League University, Hastings worked towards his degree in economics, while simultaneously helping to run a poker training site and continue his rise up the ranks online. It wasn't long before he had reached the top and was battling with some of the best online players in the world. Then, in December of 2009, he took on Victor Blom, better known to Railbirds as Isildur 1. In the end, after a five-hour session, it was a record win for Hastings of $4.18 million. Keep in mind, at this point, Hastings was still in school and was not even playing live poker yet. Black Friday changed that, however, and in 2012, Brian won his first bracelet in the $10,000 Heads Up event. In the years since, he has been one of the most consistent performers at the World Series of Poker, and in 2015, he won two more bracelets, taking down the $10,000 Stud Championship and the $1,500 10-game mix. In 2018, he won the 3K Horse event and finished runner-up in the 2019 $10,000 PLO 8 or Better tournament. Then this fall, he earned his fifth bracelet overall in the $10,000 Stud 8 or Better tournament. He is just the 29th player in history to win five or more titles at the series. Anyway, that's enough intro. Here is my conversation with Brian Hastings. I am here with Brian Hastings, fresh off of his fifth career World Series of Poker bracelet win. Uh, Brian, how are you doing? I'm good, Julio. How are you? Great. You back back home in Florida? Yes, I've been back in Florida for a bit now. I did take a brief trip to uh, New York City to celebrate my third anniversary uh, at the beginning of December, but now I'm back in Florida for a bit. Congratulations. Were you were you uh, visiting some family on this trip as well? Two birds? Uh, yeah, so my parents live in Pennsylvania, so we visited them some, and then also it's like a two and a half hour drive to New York City, so we went for like a full like 24 hours. Oh, well, congrats on the... Uh... 
on the anniversary also um you know it's been a big couple years for you the birth of your daughter uh you know and you know obviously poker has gone well despite a pandemic <laughs> um but we'll get to that uh first on this show we go back to the beginning we want to hear your origin story so pennsylvania huh yeah i grew up in pennsylvania um born in state college m- mostly grew up in the wilkes scranton area where our, my, our family moved when i was four and my parents still live in that same house to this day. So Scranton, as in famous by The Office, Scranton. <laughs> that is correct. That's Scranton. Man, that's uh, your, your ties to that show continue later on in this in this story. Um, so is it is Scranton anything like the show depicts? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they do a pretty good job parading it. So I grew up like 30 minutes away from Scranton, so I wasn't like right there. But yeah, I mean, I've been there a bunch of times, and but same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty vibe, pretty, pretty good parody of the area. <laughs> uh, what were you getting into as a youngster? I know you were obviously academically gifted. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I definitely always was proficient academically, and I, and I, I always really enjoyed math. That was my thing. Um, but also, I mean, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. I wasn't as good at those, but I enjoyed it a lot. Like I played. Uh, I played basketball through ninth grade. I played played golf. I played varsity golf, actually. Um, that was like the one sport that I stuck with all the way through senior year. Um, I played soccer for a while. I played Little League Baseball. So, yeah, I mean, it, sports was definitely another thing I was into a lot. And, of course, video games, which was, you know, a big thing for people of my generation, especially those with, you know, more nerdy orientations. So did a lot of that. Uh, did this academic focus come from within or was it a parental pressure what did they do for a living um so not i wouldn't say pressure but like yeah my family definitely had a lot of people who you know had good academic credentials i mean uh, my dad currently is a college professor and there are a few other of those in my family um my mom was an engineer just retired this year also a few engineers in my family um you know a lot of people with like graduate degrees and such. So, yeah, I mean, I think I just kind of grew up like, you know, learning all this about people in my family and like using them as role models, but but not so much actual pressure. Like I feel, I don't, I never really felt that. There was no rebellious stage where you got a few Bs in a row or anything like that? Um, I mean, not on, not on purpose. <laughs> I mean, I guess occasionally there was a class or two where I just like wasn't as into it and didn't try as hard. But I mean, that for the most part, I did really well academically. I graduated, uh, fifth in my class I believe out of like 180 so which of course lands you at Cornell um Mm -hmm. was was it Ivy League or bust the whole way was that your focus in high school um no actually I wasn't really sure um I mean uh, yeah I I had a cousin who played football at Harvard so that was you know again someone I kind of looked up to um but um, yeah, I just, I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. I ended up applying to four schools and Cornell was actually the only Ivy League school I applied to. Um, and I applied early decision. So the decision was made for me when I got accepted. Um, yeah. but I also applied to Penn State, Bucknell and Lehigh. Okay. So you were going to stay relatively close to home no matter what. Yeah, I was kind of shooting for that range where it was like close enough that like, you know, people could come visit me, but not so close that they would just randomly show up on Saturday morning. Exactly. An arm's length away. Close enough yeah. for a weekend laundry trip, maybe. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so what was your 
your ambition at that time? Because the, the story kind of goes that you found poker in high school. That's correct. Yeah. So I think I started, I mean, so I graduated in 06. So, you know, Moneymaker WSOP happens in 2003. World Poker Tour starts becoming big on TV then. And yeah, I recall just, you know, before I really got serious about poker, I recall just like, you know, going over to a friend's house and like watching like WPT final tables and stuff and WSOP broadcasts and playing our own little like $5 home games. Um, and then, but that was, that, so I probably just did that kind of stuff for like a year or so. And then I found out that my math teacher, my junior and senior year was um, playing online. And, and he actually told me one day that he had made more money playing online than he had teaching the previous year. So I think that was when I really like thought like, whoa, this is, this, there could really be some potential in this. So you were playing as a junior in high school. Yeah. Did you find success right away or was it, you know, a slow start? Um, I think online, like, I wasn't like, I think I kind of broke even for a while, like maybe six months or so. I mean, I wasn't playing big stakes or anything. Like I, I started out depositing $50 and playing like $10 buy-in cash games and such. So, um, but big yeah. Big to a high schooler. I was, yes, I was, this is, I was like a junior, I'd say at this point. Um, and, but yeah, so for a while I kind of broke even and then, you know, but, but I was really interested in trying to improve and started finding like training resources like forums and some books and eventually training videos so yeah i mean eventually i started to figure it out more and um, my senior year i had quite a bit of success right i mean that's putting it mildly i mean uh you you had enough success to cons to maybe even say no to college right yeah, I could have um, definitely had a, a plenty of people who would ask me about that at the time, like, oh, like, yeah, why are you even going to college? Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think it was always just a goal of mine growing up to, you know, to graduate from college. And again, like, I just had so many people in my family who were in the academic world. So, yeah, right, it was, so it was, it was something I always wanted to do. Real quick for our listeners, so the background story, is, is it true that you had a bankroll of a quarter of a million dollars before you even graduated high school. Yeah, that's correct. That, I mean, that takes it like a, well, a tremendous discipline at that age, but yeah, I mean, I, there were people who dropped out of college with less than 20 K to their name to become a professional poker player. So yeah, for you to, to go ahead and say yes to Cornell, I guess was a thing. It was, yeah, I guess I always just kind of realized that like, you know, I am, I was just so young that like, I wasn't confident enough that like I just wanted to be like all in on poker long term. So um, I, I just thought it was always a good idea to you know stick with college. So like you know if if at some point I decided I wanted to go a different direction, like I'd be on the right track to do that. Okay, so real quick, how did you amass this quarter of a million? What was your method? Uh, it was mostly playing cash games. I, I mean, th so this was all uh, ultimate bet. Um, that was the only site I played on before turning eighteen um and yeah um mostly mostly cash games but i played a variety of stuff i played some sit and goes i played some multi-table tournaments i do recall having like one sort of big score when i was still kind of just like you know treading water with maybe like a mid to high three-figure bankroll playing like whatever cash games and then just like banking off like a ten dollar tournament for 3k um so that was like kind of a big bankroll booster then <laughs> but after that like it really was just like mostly cash games like i don't really recall having another like 
tournament score during that run that was like a really big boost to the bankroll. It was a lot of just, you know, playing playing just a few tables of no limit cash and then when I win enough money, move up stakes and just keep doing that. Uh you've been open about the fact that you put in a lot of study time away from the table. Uh what about back then? Were you, you know, getting in the lab before most people were doing that kind of thing? Um, oh man, back back then, I mean, again, like I think I was just generally trying to learn more about the game, but certainly not in anything resembling the, the way that people would do it today. Um, but yeah, just stuff like, you know, re- reading some books and forums, like trying to, especially like, you know, identifying a few good players who would like regularly post on forums, which was like way more of a thing back then than anybody play, like coming up today could ever imagine. Um, it was really incredible. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, back in the day, like the two plus two, like no limit forums back in like 2006 and stuff was really something you'd have some of the best players in the world just openly posting strategy advice all the time um that's not a thing anymore i mean now it's all that's all in like discord chats and stuff but so you get to cornell what was the plan there um i mean i was definitely trying to do both like i was wanted to be serious about my academics but also wanted to continue with this poker that was going pretty well very well (laughs) and uh so i originally started out as an engineering major and my first semester just couldn't really couldn't really hang academically given you know how much time i was still trying to put in the poker so i ended up switching majors after that and then after that i was able to kind of learn how to time manage and do it do it do both um, at the same time. So I guess it would be kind of analogous to like, you know, someone who is a college athlete, like probably putting about that much time into poker while also trying to do do okay academically. And at this time, you know, Cornell's in New York, not too far from Turning Stone. Were you playing any live poker at all or was it all just strictly online? Um, I took a few, like very few trips to to Turning Stone. That was, yeah, the first time I ever played like, live poker in a casino was that turning stone i think yeah just like me and a few college friends just like took a trip up some weekend but um not something i did regularly at all and like when i did go i wasn't very like serious about it or like i mean because you know i was playing pretty big online at that point like 50 100 plus exactly right. right so then i'd go to turning stone and be playing like full ring 510 and just like couldn't really take it that seriously i guess that's what i'm saying like you I had already graduated to the highest stakes online before you had even really given live poker <laughs> a sniff, right? Um, yeah. At any point, did you have to do some kind of mental adjustments about the amount of money you were playing for? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny, I guess, because, I mean, A, it was like, you know, I wasn't just like dramatically rising up in stakes overnight. It was like kind of a gradual process. Even Even if it was relatively fast, it was like, you know, spending X amount of time at one stake, then moving up to the next stake. It wasn't like just a, some giant leap ever. So, um, and then the, the other thing was like, you know, at that age, I just didn't really have any obligations. <laughs> I was, you know, this single college student. So um, yeah, just, you know, m- money was just kind of a way of keeping score almost like, I mean, I was never putting my whole bankroll at risk or anything. So, you know, and, 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 and it was also just so easy to win back then that, you know, I always just felt like if I took a shot and lost like, you know, a quarter of my bankroll, it wouldn't be that hard to grind it back up. So uh, are you, at this point, are you even enjoying college or are you just a slave to the computer? Yeah, I, I did enjoy college. I mean, I think if I I think if I didn't, I wouldn't have 
force myself to stay, but I, I really did actually enjoy it quite a bit, both, both socially. I mean, I think that was nice because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, you know, having spent so much time in front of the computer the last few years, I think I, I needed that like social development. <laughs> um, and also, but I also really did, did enjoy my classes. I learned a lot. I like, I mean, so I ended up majoring in economics and also just getting to pick some fun elective classes during that time. And I really did enjoy what I studied there. So uh, you obviously had your your famous score against uh, Victor Blom while you were still in college, um, four million dollars um, plus another million and a half that came later, and you know obviously numerous other victims along the way. Uh, by the time you finish school, are you seriously considering using your degree at all? Or are you just all in on poker? Um, no, at the time I graduated, I was very, I was very sure I was going to be doing poker then. Like I was still, you know, and still, even still today, I'm like, you know, still, still keep open the possibility of like, you know, grad school at some point in the future. But, um, but, you know, it's always been more of a, like, oh, if, if, if I stop enjoying poker and, or, and, or, you know, it just isn't like the best path for me overall financially and everything, but like. That, that hasn't happened. Like I've always continued to enjoy playing poker. I mean, I, I know I've read plenty of stories or heard from plenty of people who like have just gotten burned out and like not enjoyed it anymore. But since that hasn't been the case for me, so I've been happy to just keep going with this. Right. There's always been a balance in your life, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes more than others, but certainly now I have a lot of balance and it's like, you know, it's exciting for me when I have like time to devote to <laughs> poker. Um, so yeah, it definitely helps keep it fresh. Uh, let's talk about that um, that four million dollar score. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that change your life? You obviously got a lot of publicity after it happened. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd say in the in the immediate aftermath, probably more negatively than anything, just because you know there was the whole a bunch of people getting on me for reading my friends' emails about hands. And I, like, I, I mean, I think the biggest memory I have after was just like go- being at Disney World with my family and just like reading people posting about me on 2 plus 2 and <laughs> just being mad about it. Um, right, you took yeah, a lot obviously. of heat for, uh, for using some hand histories uh, from some of your colleagues, um, which today I think would be kind of laughed at <laughs> as a, you know, an offense. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly at the time it ruffled some feathers. I think m- at the end of the day, most people just realize you beat the guy. <laughs> and that's it was all that was all there was to it. You know, the person who studied the hardest had the best outcome in that situation. So um, what about the money aspect of it? Like you're, you're a college student now with millions of dollars. How does that change you think anything? Um, I mean, money was great, but like, I, I mean, it's weird that like, it didn't like immediately change my material situation that much. Cause I mean, I was already doing well enough to be in like a position to take that shot in the first place. So, and, and like, you know, I did sell action for this too. Like, I, it's not like I won $4 million of my own money. Um, so yeah, I mean like, yeah, it, it still was a lot of a big windfall, but it, 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 like, you know, in terms of like my day-to-day life, it didn't really change much of anything at the time besides like you know oh i got let's find some new things to invest money in um so 
Um, now, so, so nobody uh, that now because yeah, if I won that much now, it'd be like very life changing. But um, but yeah, at the time again, at the time I was you know a 21 year old college student and had already had enough to pay for whatever I wanted at the time. So it didn't really like affect anything that much right then. Before we get into um, those investments you're talking about, um, did you splurge on anything? Did you treat yourself at all after any of these big wins? Not necessarily against Victor Blom, but anything along the way. Um, the only thing I can remember somewhat splurging on afterwards was actually a gift for my parents. I, for, so that that the session happened like early December that year, and I ended up buying my parents like a tour, like guided uh, trip to Italy for Christmas that year. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, which they had, they had an awesome time. Like, yeah, so ha- super happy I did that. I don't remember really splurging on anything for myself, though. Well, you did own your own house by this point, right? I did, yeah. I bought, yeah. So I bought that house um, after my sophomore year of college, and it was just like, you know, a house that I could like live in for the rest of my time there, and uh, had some a couple friends who were roommates who like rented rooms from me, and but yeah, I mean, I didn't like need, <laughs> I didn't need to like you know buy new property then at the moment or anything. Although I did actually consider that after that, I thought about uh buying like a, I think it was like a like a quadplex or something like you know it's like a little unit with like four uh rentals for cornell students i thought about buying that as an investment afterwards but didn't probably should have it might have worked out depending on your time sure it would have been a great investment but like probably would have been a lot of hassle to deal with too so just depends on i mean i haven't actually been physically been back to ithaca since i graduated 10 years ago so yeah, that would be a lot of back and forth maintenance there. Uh, okay, so you mentioned those investments. On another interview I read, uh, you mentioned that you did some poor investing. Any, anything you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I don't wanna really want to get specific on that, but like, I mean, I'd, I'd say like certainly at some times when I was having a lot of success, like both like then and also like 2015 when I, I won a couple of bracelets, um, in the immediate aftermath of that, I would have like a variety of people kind of popping up to like pitch me on the investing in their stuff and like i mean <laughs> certainly i would advise anybody in that position to like just really put the brakes on that stuff and like realize like oh there's a reason these people are coming to you right now and like there's a reason like they're coming to you and not like people they know really well and, and that kind of thing right 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 so you you had a a bunch of get rich quick uh schemes in your ear and uh some of them took you for a ride um what about um uh backing and staking people did you did you go down that rabbit hole at all i did do some of that back then yeah um and yeah that also well i mean i had some successes and some failures with that but yeah i mean that's definitely a difficult thing to do well also i think um i mean there are some there you know there are some people out there who have been able to really make it work um you know backers who back a lot of players but i think it's you know for someone I think it's probably best left to the people who are like really, really good and focused at it rather than someone like me who just was, was kind of trying to do it like part time on the side. So Black Friday happens and it kind of forces you from being a strictly an online player to a more of a live player. Um, how was that adjustment for you? Um, OK, so Black Friday you know, happened in April of 11. So at the time, so I had graduated Cornell in the previous December. I took four and a half years. Um, and I was dating a girl at the time who 
did a study abroad in Rome that following year. Um, so I actually rented an apartment in Rome for like five months and was playing some online there, but also traveling to some like EPTs and such. Um, so got into, got into live a little bit there, but still was, I'd say, primarily playing online. Um, mm-hmm. Then Black Friday happened in April. Um, we ended up breaking up. Um, and then the following fall, I rented a place in Vancouver and got set up online with like, you know, all the internet, like rest of the world sites and was still primarily playing online there. But I did take a big trip um, to play EPT London and World Series Europe, which was in Cannes that year. So again, play like a few weeks of like live tournaments and stuff. So still get my feet wet there, but I was still primarily focused on online. But then after that, I just kind of had like my mental health kind of downturned and ended up just kind of sort of taking a break. Even I even like moved back in with my parents for a brief period to just kind of get my head right and figure out what I wanted to do next. And then after that was when I first ended up in Florida by just renting a place with some friends for a month and then uh, had a really nice trip and just decided to move to Florida and just, yeah, to then at that point, get into a lot more live stuff. Um, you mentioned the, the, the uh, moving back in with your parents and stumbling in that, in that room. Like, was there a time when you thought, okay, I'm done with poker. Let's, let's, you know, that was my ride there. Let me go back and use this degree. No, because I wouldn't say my mental health struggles were because of poker. It was just kind of in general, I'd say more just like kind of generally like not having direction and also just self-esteem stuff, but it wasn't really tied to poker. And if anything, I would say like poker was something that gave me confidence at times when I didn't have it in other areas. 2012, you win your first bracelet, the 10K heads up event. Mm -hmm. Uh, $370,000. $370,000. All your all your wins are in there, around the $300,000 mark. <laughs> um, so uh, what was that like? You know, uh, were you somebody who had, you know, a buck, uh, a poker bucket list that included a bracelet or was it just another tournament on the schedule? Um, I definitely thought it was really cool to win a bracelet. I don't think it was something I had thought like too heavily about before that. But like, I mean, for since I had turned 21, which was in uh, 2009, um, you know, I was I was playing some World Series events here and there. Uh, I mean, well, even I mean, even a decent amount of events, some series, but not not quite the full schedules that I've done in more recent years. But but yeah, I mean, it was still I always like enjoyed playing in the World Series and. Um, but I'd say I'd still identified more as like a cash game player than an online player. So it wasn't like top of my list of like my goals or anything, but definitely thought it was a really cool thing. Um, we have a question here about where do you keep your bracelets? I we'll get to the other four in a minute. Um, but do you have like some sort of display or are they just locked away in a safe? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't currently have a display. I've thought about getting some kind of display. I think that would be cool. Um, I just moved into a new house in May and we are still kind of in the decorating process. So at the moment they're kind of more just stashed away in like filing cabinets and such, but, um, yeah, eventually I think a display case would be really cool. Yeah. A little shrine to yourself. (laughs) It's, it's allowed, it's allowed in poker. You have some other trophies there to display. I know you, uh, won a circuit ring a couple, was it last year or the year before Um, that? (laughs) <laughs> it was, I want to say it was like 
18 or 19. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> the last three years have pretty much blurred together at this point. Um, definitely wasn't 20. I know that. <laughs> let's talk mixed games. When did you start? Well, obviously, you had always played PLO. That was uh, what your your big, famous online score came in. But when did all the other games come into the picture for you? Um, so, I mean, I will just say quickly with PLO, like, I didn't I didn't play it right after that. Like, I'd, I mean, I played all No Limit to build up that bankroll in high school. And then I think my freshman year of college is when I first, like, started dabbling in PLO and trying to work on that. So, but, yeah, I probably was playing online for, like, two years before I ever tried PLO. Um, but then Mixed Games was maybe, like, another two years after that or so. And I think it was just kind of, you know, I, I, I was just kind of scrolling the lobbies on Full Tilt and Poker Stars and, like, realizing that these big games were running and, um, you know, players that I was doing really well against that a lot of the bigger, like, No Limit and PLO games were playing. And I just thought that was interesting and seemed thought it seemed neat to try my hand at some different games. So how does a Brian Hastings approach that situation? Because obviously these are giant games that you're jumping into. Um, you know, it's not like you're you're getting your feet wet at the lowest levels um, and then kind of figuring things out. Do you, is it just as simple as reading as much as you can on the matter and running hands or what's your process when you're picking apart a new game? Um, I think I did do a bit of just like, you know, trying to get some hands in at like a bit smaller stakes, still not like that small, but maybe like, you know, 40, 80 or 75, 150 or something. Like, <laughs> That's small, an expensive small relative lesson. to the big deck games I was playing, I guess. Yeah, um, I guess. But yeah, I mean, apart from that, I, I definitely, I think pretty early got into like running just Sims with like the pro poker tools and that kind of stuff where, you know, just equity calculations. Um, and also just trying to find whatever like learning materials were out there, like, you know, reading stuff like Super System 2. And uh, I mean, yeah, just kind of trying to scroll 2 plus 2 for relevant posts and, and that kind of stuff. Your bracelets are in Heads Up No Limit, 7 Card Stud, 10 Game, Horse, and then of course, uh, last, almost at summer, this fall, you won the 10K Stud 8 or Better Championship. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, you got a little bit of everything there. Is that something you hang your hat on? Um, you know, the fact that you can kind of sit down in any game and, and hang? Um, to a point, yeah. Um, although I'd say at the moment I'm more driven toward like, you know, really winning more like no limit tournaments because I, I think I've kind of circled back to that. Whereas for a bunch of years I didn't put in the work that some others are putting in and and no limit no no limit hold'em especially in tournaments. And more recently I've just like been really focusing on that. So I was a little bit a little bit disappointed this series that like I didn't have more you know better no limit results. I did. The one like kind of good run I made was in the win main event, which is a 3,500 buy-in. I got 18th out of like almost 1,800 players for 41k. But at the World Series, I just had like you know a couple of min caches and then busted the main event on day one. So obviously, you know, I, I want a bracelet, so great series overall. But but uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm I'm definitely driven toward you know trying to work on that no limit tournament game and get some results in there because. You know, I do have a heads up no limit bracelet, but that's a, a very different game. And yeah, I think it would be cool to, you know, go, go for it in some of the more mainstream no limit ones.
Yeah, it's interesting. The Pogo, it's always the grass is always greener on the other side, right? You know, what's that? What's that game over there? Oh yeah, that's right. That that game that brought me in, No Limit Hold'em. <laughs> oh look, it looks a lot different than when I last saw it. <laughs> well, I think um, it's, so another aspect of it to me is just like you know back. I mean, I I, I love playing mixed mixed games, but it's like really hard to find places to play these days, at least on a regular basis. So. You know, back when I was really focusing on mixed games, like I could just log on and play whatever on PokerStars or Full Tilt, and that's just, you know, that's nowadays it's there's not that much to play with that. So with no limit tournaments though, like there's you know there's stuff to play every day. So if I I think it's it's fun to focus on that, and then there's just constant opportunities to play and study and improve. Uh, of your bracelets, which is uh which is your baby, which is the one that you're most proud of? <laughs> um. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, maybe this one actually, just because I mean I hadn't been playing a lot of mix entering this series, but like it, kind of my method my method for studying this series was like you know while still playing a lot, obviously it was like um, I mean one cool thing was they had it so the fifteen hundred of a certain event would usually be like a few days before the ten k. So kind of like the you know during those days I'd like put in my like little bit of extra time at night just kind of working on that game a little bit. So I did that for study and like ended up you know going into the tournament and feeling like a lot better than I thought I would. And then the final table was quite tough and was still able to I think I was still really happy with how I played. And um, so yeah, I think if anything, if I had to pick one, probably that. Although heads up no limit is pretty cool too. I mean that's a tough field. Definitely you know beat some good players and. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, you are the 29th player ever to win five or more bracelets. Does do these kind of things matter to you? The accolades or like your ranking in history, that kind of stuff. It matters. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like you know, I wouldn't say I'm like Phil Hellmuth level driven by it, but um, <laughs> I mean, I do really look forward to the World Series every year, and I do really you know try to. To give it my my best every year and i mean while i'm not like you know i mean i did play a little bit at other venues this this series i'm not like totally just like trying to optimize for best chances to win a bracelet but, but yeah i mean it's definitely a cool thing and especially just you know some of the company that i'm in with having that many bracelets we have a, a question here we ask about close calls was there an event or tournament um where you just made the wrong move at the wrong time and it you know it haunted you for a while it kept you up at night um one i guess i could think back to most is that that year in in 2015 when i won won two bracelets there was a 5k no limit where i like had like a massive chip lead on the bubble and then just kind of really went too hard with it and ended up i mean ended up like cashing but like not for anything special um, but you know, was was in a really good spot in that tournament, and then I think just kind of overdid it and, and kind of almost busted myself. So if I had to pick one, that would be it. That's interesting. Most people bring up like a second or third place finish, you know, <laughs> but yours is a uh, about what could have been, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I've had you know I've had other final tables at the World Series, but I don't recall. I don't think I ever had a second though. Um, and then yeah, I mean the other ones were just kind of you know like fourth or fifth in like a stutter as tournament where like probably not much that could have done differently so 
Man, I, I, I would love to get to the point <laughs> in my poker career where I forget my second place finishes. In 2019, you finished second oh, in the, oh, ten, okay, in yeah, the yeah. 10K Sorry. PLO, uh, eight or better to Nick Schulman. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just blanked on that right now. I'm sorry. Bad that was $286,000 you just forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like, you know, if you, if you gave me like 10 seconds to think about it, I'm sure I would have got there. But uh <laughs> But, but again, like, you know, even in that, in that tournament, there's like, I mean, I, I can remember some of the hands and there's, there's nothing I like regret. Like, I think I played yeah. well. I think Nick, Nick played well and, you know, it ran out in Nick's favor. And, but yeah, like, I don't have any regrets about it. That's good. You know, you can sleep at night and that's all that matters. <laughs> um, all right. We have some, some rapid fire questions here to wrap things up if you're ready to go. Sure. All right. Um, are you superstitious at all? Like not like seriously superstitious, but I do I do some goofy things sometimes. Like uh, I mean, famously during this uh, bracelet win this year, um, on day three, which ended up being a four day, my wife uh, came to sweat me, and she had a pair of my daughter's socks in her pocket that she didn't realize. But then we decided like, oh, why don't you hold on to this for good luck? And then <laughs> uh, you know, I, I closed out the day strong, and then ended up winning the tournament. So then the rest of the series, I just brought those and held them in my pocket the re- every tournament. <laughs> Um, there you go yeah goofy things like that but like you know i don't like actually think it changes things but it's still just kind of fun you know and if it's really cold you have some emergency finger mittens so (laughs) that's true uh what about the uh biggest uh shot you've ever taken um hmm trying to think like for my own purposes um i mean i've played a couple of like live 100k tournaments on mostly my own money so that, i mean those are very big shots um i've played 501k online on my own money a couple times yeah i mean i guess i guess those but like in, in, in any any of those cases like there was like a reasonably tight stop loss so it's not like i could have just like lost a million dollars like <laughs> um but yeah those are big shots though uh biggest pot you've ever won or lost your choice um i would have and it could be biggest you know in terms of you know uh as far as the circumstances in your career at the time it doesn't have to be just monetarily biggest um i'm really bad at remembering this stuff i mean obviously i played some very big pots against victor in that session but i don't remember any of them really um uh, but yeah, like even. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really bad at remembering these things. All right, well, let's talk a little. You spend a lot of time in Bobby's room as well, right? Oh, there actually is a really big one I won in there that I can remember. Okay. It was a PLO pot against Patrick Antonius, and I think it was like a 500k pot or so. Um, I just remember he three bet me in position, and I called with some like low rundown. Then I check called the flop and turned it straight, and I I like led the turn, and he raised all in, and I called, and I think he was dead. Oh, that's nice. You didn't have yeah, to pay the a board pair. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't think he had two pair or anything. I think he just I don't know, just had like an over pair, didn't believe me or something. Uh, what was it like, you know, the first time stepping into that room and and playing with those guys was there an intimidation aspect of it or what you know these um, are just 
Yes, I think I think there is some intimidation aspect. I mean, there's some incredibly, I mean, some of the very best players in the world, of course, playing in that room. Um, yeah, I mean, it was always a really cool experience for me. I'd say some of the most like motivated like I've ever been to play poker, and like I re- really enjoyed it. I'd say overall, I mean, in, in those specific like game PLO games that I was playing that trip, I did well. I think overall, I'm down a bit in Bobby's room lifetime, but. Um, always a really neat experience is battling with the best and yeah, um, some really, really tough competition, but, but, you know, fun, just some, some great, great guys too. Like people, I mean, people like Nick always make the game really fun. Uh, what is the best swap or piece you've ever had of anybody? Um, I had... There was one year in the main event that I, I had bought. I had 40% of one friend and 80% of another friend, and they were both still in with like 30 left, but oh, kind, of fizzled, kind of fizzled from there. Still pretty, uh, but yeah, pretty still, nice, great, uh, still quite good. Investment. <laughs> uh, where is the weirdest place you've ever played poker for money? Ooh, um, <laughs> that's a great question, actually. Um, I mean, I've played a few like home games just at like various residences, but I, I mean, they weren't that weird. They were pretty nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think in terms of like, because I mean, Palm Beach Kettle Club, I guess, kind of stands out. That place is a really um, interesting <laughs> place. It's, you know, you walk in and like there's a, a room <laughs> on the left where people were just sweating like dog races and all their like losing dog tickets, like betting tickets are just on the ground. So, yeah, that one kind of stands out. Yeah, let's talk about Florida. I'm, I'm uh, originally from Miami myself. And then I oh, cool. grew up in Davie, and then I went to college in Gainesville. So oh. uh, you, you're kind of a little bit near where where I've been. Um, yeah. You obviously liked Florida for the action originally. Um, oh, oh, you know, what's, mm-hmm. what's it like today? Um, it's funny because I haven't been playing a ton of live or well, where I am anyway, like I'm, I'm still, but I'm still like a nice driving distance from the hard rock properties. So like whenever they have tournament series, I couldn't make this one that just happened in November. It was just, the timing wasn't good for me, but, uh, yeah, like I'll be there in uh, January and probably April also. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jacksonville has, you know, best bet has some good actions, just living the dad life though. It's just really hard to, for me to like, you know, sp- spending all day just being kind of drained and then put my daughter to bed at like eight. And then it's just like, Oh, do I really want to drive like 40 minutes to get there? Like, not really. <laughs> so, again, like, you know, I, I was going to play there uh, when they, you know, when the WPT was scheduled, like, unfortunately they had to uh, c- cancel it. But um, yeah, I mean, I always like kind of keep tabs on what's going on there. And like, I played one, uh, one of their stream games, which was a, a 10:25 no limit live stream game, and that was really really fun. Um, I would definitely do that again if you know whenever it's going to happen again. But um, yeah, on a regular basis, I've just been playing online for the most part. About five years ago, you uh, you said you were kind of going to step away from poker, semi-retire. Do you still feel kind of semi-retired, just really only grinding during the series? No, I'm playing a lot of poker. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, my mental health was in an interesting place at that time too, and uh, yeah, <laughs> um, no, I'm definitely playing a lot of poker still. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it's all I'm doing for work, you know, aside from just a grand of investing and stuff. But yeah, uh, and you, you obviously said you're still in love with the game, and you know, you don't feel any of that burnout. Um, 
you know, I'm sure it helps to have the kid to keep you occupied otherwise. Uh, let's see here. What was the worst job you had before poker? Um, so I had two part-time jobs before poker and one was just straight up like dishwashing at a country club, which I would actually not pick that one. I think I actually, I just kind of like, like the people I work with there. Um, the other one was at Little Caesars Pizza, where I did a variety of things that included dishwashing, but also making pizzas and like standing outside by the side of the road and like waving the sign. Um, <laughs> I mean, you were a sign twirler. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it was you know, it wasn't like too bad, but like, yeah, I mean, I just remember like you know, my boss was just really into country music and just blasting it in the in the back all the time, and that's not my thing, so. Um, but you know, it wasn't too bad, but like, yeah, there would definitely be some days where I'd just be kind of watching the clock, like waiting for it to go away. Yeah. I guess you didn't have a lot of time to have a job <laughs> given your high school success. Yeah. What was your largest non-poker wager? Um, probably, I think there was one year I bet on the NBA finals and laid like odds with golden state i believe when they won so i think that i think i think i won i think i won 10k i don't remember what exactly i risked oh okay so nothing too crazy obviously you no, keep it in, like keep it in poker. yeah like i don't i've never been like too i've never gone too hard on like gambling on non-poker things so i guess the real gamble is the investing huh yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> risk more on those things, yes. What is a talent you don't have that you wish you did? Um, probably more athletic ability, because I feel like growing up, I like really, really liked sports, but I just wasn't good. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how much that really actually matters in the grand scheme of things, but I'd say, you know, certainly growing up, it was something I always just felt felt like self-conscious about and you know i was friends with a bunch of people who were good athletes and yeah was, so i was kind of jealous of that <laughs> if you could like pick one athletic skill to have just looking like you currently do but to just be able to bust out one skill whenever you need it what would you pick um well i mean i might be biased from like watching uh the game last night but i'm gonna go with three-point shooting okay yeah a little steph action <laughs> yeah I just think it'd be hilarious if somebody my size would to just randomly dunk uh, out of nowhere. <laughs> that would be a really cool no, one, too. No physical explanation for it whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> um, do you have a celebrity doppelganger? Or have people told you you look like somebody growing up or anything like that? Um, I feel like I've gotten... I don't even remember. Like I feel like, way, like a long time ago when I, I probably don't even look the same now but i feel like i've gotten some I, I don't remember though i was looking at your winner photo today okay. and i was seeing a little ed sheeran in there okay not as obviously no red in there but <laughs> um a little bit of when with, with the beard action and the glasses okay seeing it <laughs> my It'll dad has red hair too not like ed sheeran red but like you know just like a reddish brown tinge so I, I didn't really inherit that too much but um okay i see that <laughs> okay you're not you're not screaming at me that's a good sign <laughs> uh what is your most prized possession um possession hmm. i <laughs> i i mean it's funny i, I don't 
care that much about possessions generally. Like, I mean, certainly my most prized things in life are like my family, but um, that wouldn't be a possession. So, um, I mean, my house, I guess. <laughs> that's, boring. that's a really boring answer, sorry. The house is on fire. Everyone's safe. The photo albums are taken out. You have time to grab one thing. <laughs> um, my laptop. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. <laughs> there might be some Bitcoin on there you need to save or something. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. that, definitely the Bitcoin wallet actually. Yeah, that's good, one. good point. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could pick the entertainment for the Super Bowl halftime show, what would you pick? um so i'm a big rock music guy i'm trying to think i mean i'll, I'll go with the black keys because that was that was one of the last concerts was the last concert i saw before covid i did i did, did get to see a couple this summer actually but they put on a great live show i've seen them twice and yeah i really enjoy their their music and their live performances black keys my daughter uh plays bass um in a band oh, here nice. in vegas and for her se uh, she's seven and her for her first show she got to play the black keys a song called fever mm -hmm. uh, she's real she she loved that song she still plays it today it's, yeah, um, it's a bass song for sure and that's awesome that's really cool that she plays bass yeah she's uh she's obsessed and uh just, you know proud dad moment i just look and weep yeah obviously awesome. You're going through the same thing right now, right, with your yeah. little one. <laughs> Every new milestone is just, uh, you know, that much better. <laughs> Let's see. What about the longest session you've ever played? Um, I feel like I've played, like, a few live poker sessions that really went long. But, I mean, none, none of them, not, like, 24 hours long, but, like, maybe, like, approaching 20, like, and these were, I'd say, mostly mixed game sessions, playing like these reasonably big mixed games live. Um, but maybe once or twice playing like big PLO games too for like that length of time. So this was a situation where you're you're staying up with somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind target. of all the same players, like pretty much just all staying up for the most part. Um, do you like telling people you're a professional poker player? Um, I guess it depends who, but I'd say like on average, no. Um, I just think that yeah, like the kind of the reactions and follow-up questions can be like just annoying and like missing like uninformed sort of. <laughs> yeah, not worth the hassle. Yeah. Uh, do you have a nemesis, somebody you can't beat, or somebody who's just always held over you? Um, I'll just. Uh, I'll go with Mormon because most recently he uh, in in the win that win main that I was got to the final few tables of um, we we were two of the biggest stacks and he won a big pot off me and then I ended up busting an 18th and I, yeah I just kind of feel like over the years he's gotten the better of me so seems like a reasonable choice. Shout out to Chris Mormon, online poker legend. Um, uh, favorite gambling movie? Um, I mean I'll just go with Rounders. I mean I know it's the classic but yeah like i mean i just had memories you know myself of like i remember i think like one time when i was on like a break for college i, I got like a limo for some of my high school friends and me to go up to turning stone and we, we watched rounders in the car on the way there so it's kind of <laughs> memories. that's a baller move right yeah limo to turning stone before you <laughs> could even legally drink um <laughs> 
biggest pet peeve at the table? Um, I, I mean, definitely people just like unnecessarily acting too slow is, is up there. Like, I mean, I, I'm certainly have no problem with people like thinking through real decisions, but like, you know, the kind of like actions on someone pre-flop and they just like, insist on taking 15 seconds every time that stuff drive me, drives me crazy. Uh, who is the most famous non-poker player you've played with? Uh, I would go with Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce. He's, he plays uh, the series quite a bit. Uh, how's his game? Um, I mean, I think he, like, he knows how to play. Like, I think he's, you know, has a little bit of that, like, person who can afford to lose, so plays too many hands, like, thing in him. But, like, but, yeah, like, I mean, he understands the game and, like, is capable of, like, playing post-flop. Uh, what is the most entertaining thing you've watched, read, or listened to recently? Um, I'll go with, I think you should leave. Um, if Netflix series, if you're not familiar. Yeah, just fun comedy series, 15-minute episodes, which is great for dads. Thank you. So that's like an absurdist, like, sketch show? Yes. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like sort of, yeah, sketch comedy uh, yeah, the guy Tim Robinson is the man. He's like just this really silly, goofy guy. All right, I think you should leave. There you go. Check it out. Um, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. All right. Okay, you got a little little pack of questions here about the holidays. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Or uh, was there a holiday that was the biggest in your family growing up? Um, I'll say Christmas. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was always a big time for family gathering for me. My mom has five siblings, so it was always just kind of that one time a year where, like, we reliably were, like, all getting together and just, like, seeing everyone and, you know, just having, sharing meals and opening presents and all that. So, yeah, I'll go with that. What What were your Christmas uh, traditions? Were you, like, a hammer or a turkey family were you a uh, New Year uh, or Christmas Eve presents or Christmas morning? Um, elf on the shelf? No elf on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so Christmas Eve, we would always go to uh, my aunt Christine's house and have like more of a traditional like. Um, so my that side of the family is all of Ukrainian descent, so sort of like a Ukrainian, like some uh, more uh, kind of like a simpler meal with like no. Uh, no meat besides seafood and and then we don't like we'd all like do like a cousin's gift exchange of presents um and then christmas day would like you know op open the presents from santa and my parents and such and then go over to my aunt joanne's house and then we uh that was a, a ham oriented meal and i think a pork roast also all right you're getting a little bit of everything on yeah. the holidays that's <laughs> awesome well thank you so much uh brian for coming on and sharing the stories yeah my pleasure thanks for having me that's it. That is the show. Thank you once again to Brian. You can find him on Twitter at Brian C. Hastings and also learn from him directly at Run It Once, where he is a coach alongside players such as Phil Galfond, Jason Kuhn, Ben Solsky, uh, Sam Greenwood, and many more. You can also follow us on Twitter at Card Player Media or at Poker Stories. As always, make sure you are subscribed for the latest Poker Stories episodes. And before you skip to the next one on your playlist, please consider leaving us a nice five-star rating and review. Let us know you did it with an email to pokerstories at cardplayer.com. 
and we'll say thanks with a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. Thanks for listening.